The reading is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, reading through to chapter 4, verse 5. And this can be found on page 1196 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back of church. And the page numbers for those are on the screen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how, from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, Discharge all the duties of your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, uh, Nikki. Well, a friend of mine, um, he is now a minister, a vicar of a church, but before that he did a number of different jobs. Uh, and one of the things he, he did during his uh, many different careers was uh, he was interviewed for a job as a management consultant. And uh, obviously on his application form or his personal statement or whatever it was he filled in, uh, he'd obviously made some reference, some mention of the fact that he was a Christian. And so his interviewer turned to him and said, the Church of England is in terminal decline. It is seen as irrelevant, outdated. Uh, No one wants to be any part of it. Church attendance figures are plummeting. If you were brought in by the Church of England as their management consultant, what would you do to turn the situation around? Now, that's quite a question to get, I think, at an interview. I don't know what you would say. Uh, I can't even remember what he said. I I think he did tell me at one point. Um, uh, But but either way, there there is this sense, isn't there, that we were thinking last week about the fact that that culture, uh, the the culture in the last days is like this tide that's pushing us away from God, away from Jesus, the need to stand firm against that, uh, like swimming upstream, it's hard work, uh, and maybe we feel that, maybe we do feel like uh, the world around us is pushing us away from Jesus, we don't really see this, this desperate desire to be uh, running into the church, and church figures do sometimes seem to be falling. Well, what, what do you do with that? Uh, what would be your uh, church consultant's job, um, church consultant's advice to a, to a church to battle against falling numbers? Or um, one of our guilty pleasures uh, at home is, um, is Wednesday night. 
watching The Apprentice. Can you imagine Lord Sugar bringing the two teams together and saying, right, here's the task this week. You're both going to take over a church for a week. I don't know what they'd do. I don't know what they'd what their business would be, what their model would be, what their USP would be, or or something like that, I don't know. Um, I don't even know how he would decide who would win that task. I guess it'd be something like number of people through the door, or maybe amount taken in the collection plate, or something like that, those very worldly measures. How do you judge success? How do you judge what a successful ministry is? Now, if I could just start with a a slight word of warning to us, I think. There is a danger, and I think it's a danger that evangelicals often face particularly, to play the numbers game. There is a danger to play the numbers game. We, We look and we say, well, yes, those churches over there, which are empty, well, that's because they're not, they're not preaching the gospel, isn't it? Whereas if you're really faithful to God, then you will be blessed and flourish and you'll have lots of people in your churches. But then you look maybe over the pond to America at some of these prosperity preachers and televangelists who could fill this building, well, about a hundred times over. And there's a little question mark there, isn't there? And then you go, well, you know, that's a sign that they're, they're obviously not faithful because there's too many people there. I mean, is that, is that how we play the game? Or maybe success in ministry has nothing to do with numbers. Maybe standing firm can't be judged by the number of people in the chairs. See, Paul, as he, as he gives advice and wisdom to this younger minister, Timothy, has a very different sort of pastoral consultancy message. How to stand in this culture that's moving away from Jesus, Timothy. How to to stand firm, how to have a successful ministry. And kind of his executive summary, how he boils it down. Verse 2 of chapter 4. Preach the word. Preach the word. The words. That's his advice to this younger minister in a culture that is wanting to turn people away from Jesus. But he doesn't just give that advice. If he did, then this passage and this sermon would be very, very short. Uh, He actually gives us reasons why the preaching of the word has to be central to any ministry, to any minister. Why it's all important in standing firm for the gospel. Uh, And there are at least three things we find out about the word. Uh, And here's the first one. Preach the word because you know its truth and its power. Verse 14, but as for you, he's just been talking about the culture that turns away from Jesus and the false teachers that thrive in that kind of culture and their ministry methods and their their things. He's been talking about that in the first bit of chapter 3. And then he contrasts that. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. You know it's true, Timothy. It has convinced you, the gospel message that Paul had taught, Timothy was convinced of it. Because you know those from whom you learned it. 
Now that's probably a little call back to chapter 1 where Paul reminds Timothy that his mother and his grandmother were both faithful believers. Verse 15, how from infancy at your mother's knee, at your grandmother's knee, you have known the Holy Scriptures. They told you the truth of God, written down in the Bible. Can I say, just as a a personal note, uh, I'm sure there are many of us, and I count myself as one of them, who can echo that kind of life story. We might have had the privilege of having Christian parents who, as we sat on their knee, read us Bible stories and told us the truths of the gospel. And what a great privilege that is. And if that is you, I hope you do thank God for that. Uh, I love that phrase, you know those from whom you learned it. It's quite a precious phrase to me, that, because actually, one of the things I would always say about my mum and my dad, you know, they're they're like everybody. They're they're normal people, they've got strengths, they've got weaknesses, but one strength I would say about both of them is, they were always honest. (laughs) They were always truthful, they were were people of of honesty. So when they told me, and, and they lived out their lives as though Jesus really was Lord, that carried a tremendous power to it, their witness. And maybe you can testify to that in your life. Maybe it wasn't a parent for you. Maybe it was a Christian friend. But but those people who taught you the truths of God, who told you of the gospel, you actually looked at their words and their life together and you knew it was convincing. And that was Timothy's story. In his case, it was his, his mother and his grandmother. But he was convinced of what he learned in the Holy Scriptures. He knew... It's truth. But he also, Paul says, knows its power. Those holy scriptures in the second half of verse 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures provide the wisdom we need to be saved, to be rescued from sin and death and hell, to have our sins paid for on the cross by Jesus, to be given his righteousness so that we can stand before God as our Father, knowing that we are loved and delighted Him by him because of what Jesus has done for us. That is a message you can't figure out with your own human wisdom. We need to be told it from the Holy Scriptures. But those scriptures tell that message clearly and make us wise for salvation if we will accept and believe their message. If we will have faith in Christ Jesus, verse 15 says. But the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God is much more than just a get into heaven free ticket. It's not just that you you hear the gospel, you've accepted it, great, I'm going to heaven, that's it, Bible's job done. No, verse 16 All scripture is God-breathed. It comes from God. God, the Holy Spirit himself, breathes out the Bible. Uh, Human authors may have written it down with pen, uh, but, but the Bible's claim is that actually it is the very word of God. God himself inspired those people to write down exactly what he wanted. And that means this word has a great authority. We should listen to it. 
but not only should we listen to it just because we should listen to it just because it comes from God, our Creator, uh, and He has the authority to tell us truths about us and the world. Uh, but actually, uh, look, it's not just that it comes from God. Look what it does: it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It comes from God. It teaches us, tells us things we don't know, maybe. It rebukes us. It shows us where we're going wrong and tells us to turn to a new course. It corrects us. It gives us that new course. And it trains us. Uh, to come before the Bible, either listening to a sermon, being in a Bible study, reading it for yourself, uh, it's like a spiritual gym. God is working in that encounter as you meet God in his word. It's not just an academic intellectual exercise. It's not less than that, but it's so much more. In that encounter, as you read God's word and, and meet him in that word, he is training you. He's changing the way you think, the way you feel. He wants to change the way you act so that there's a purpose to it. Verse 17, there's a purpose. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What a powerful word this is. It is everything God wants to say to us to help us live for him in the world. Uh, Not just for a few good works, did you notice, for every good work. If you want to live for Jesus in this world, Paul would say the Bible, Timothy, can make you wise for salvation. So that you know you're one of God's people. But it, it can then be used in your life. It can teach and correct and rebuke and train you so that you'll be ready to live and stand firm for Jesus. Whatever your situation is. And it's, it's the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, so it was true for Timothy, but it is also true for us. That's why the Bible is precious to us here at Platt. It's why I hope it will become, uh, is becoming or is already precious to you. You know it's truth. And it's power. Now, two of the big questions people want to ask about any idea, any philosophy, any worldview is, is it true and does it work? They're the two, two big ideas, two big questions that, that people want to ask. And when I was a student at university, the big threat to Christianity was this man, uh, Richard Dawkins. He has got a new book out, I understand, Richard Dawkins. I think he's sort of dropped off the radar a little bit, though. He was a man who challenged Christians on the first point. It's not true. It's made up, it's fairy stories. And and so uh, lots of the things Christians were doing at the time were trying to prove that Christianity and science go together and trying to just show that it is true and and the Bible makes sense and and it it can be believed and trusted. It's my sense from talking to people, though, that particularly in the student world, that question slightly drifted into the background now. Now the bigger threat to to Christianity is and Christian discipleship is stuff like this. It's Netflix, it's YouTube, it's, I've got so many other things I could spend my time on. Why would I be bothered with this Jesus stuff you're talking about? Does it work? Is it useful? Is it important? 
And it's my sense that in every generation, in every age, we, we veer between those two questions. Sometimes it's the, the truth of Christianity that people attack. And sometimes it's the relevance or, or the effectiveness of Christianity that people attack. But actually, whichever one of those two it is, do you see Paul here to Timothy? 2,000 years ago, says, no, you know it's true. And you know it's powerful and effective. You know both those things about the word. So preach the word, because as the word comes forth, its truth will be plain, and its power will be seen. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word, Holy Trinity Platz. That's the way to do genuinely successful ministry, because that's where the truth and the power is. If we were just turning up to hear me speak for a few minutes on a Sunday morning, maybe a few too many minutes, I don't know. Uh, But if we were just turning up to hear my ideas, what's the point? My words have no power to them. I'm not the one who made you and knows you inside and out. But if we're coming to hear from God, preach the word, Timothy. Preach the true and powerful word. So do we believe this word is effective, true and powerful? I guess that will play out in the way we go about doing our ministry, uh, whatever ministry God has called us to, whether it's in our SBS tables, if we're a student here, or our small group, whatever small group you're a part of, or uh, the way we come to church. Will we come with Bibles open expecting to hear from God? Will we be pointing one another back to those Bibles because we know that's where the truth and the power is? Will we be willing to be corrected and rebuked by the Bible? That's hard, isn't it? It is painful. But do we really believe it's true and powerful from God? Because if we do, then when it corrects us and rebukes us, it will be doing it for our good. To equip us to do good work, to stand firm for Jesus. So the way we respond to those rebukes and corrections will, will reveal, really, whether we believe it is that God breathed word that is useful for us in every good work. Preach the word because you know it's truth and power. Secondly, preach the word even though it will not always be popular. We'll come back to verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4 in a minute. Uh, But here's here's the point, verse 3, that I want to make here. For the time will come. And the way that phrase is, is set out by Paul, he, he's not saying there's one grand time that's going to come. He, he, he's actually said in chapter, in verse 2, there's, a, there's an in-season and an out-of-season. What he means is, for every minister, for every ministry, for every church, this time will come. There will a t- be a time that comes when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Paul is clear to Timothy that just because he preaches this powerful and truthful word, it doesn't mean that everybody's just going to go, yep, sign me up. Doesn't mean everybody's going to go, yeah, come on, I want to hear more of this. Uh, There are those who will hear the powerful, true word of God and will turn aside from truth to myths. 
In the New Testament, there's lots of talk about false teachers and how they corrupt people, they abuse people, they manipulate people. Uh, Lots of judgments and warnings upon them uh, for how they uh, turn people the wrong way. But but here we get something uh, a little different. Here we're told that the hearers themselves are not always innocent. Do you see verse 3? Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather round them a great number of teachers. It's the people who want the false teaching because it's easier. None of this correcting or rebuking stuff. It's just nice and easy to hear. It's what I like to hear. It makes me feel good about me and I don't have to change or do anything differently. And so we've got to be realistic that there are people out there who will not want the true and powerful word of God. They want to hear what they want to hear. And preaching the word of God will not always be popular. They prefer an entertaining sermon to a faithful one. And of course, there will come a time when it will be some part of sound doctrine, some part of the Bible's teaching, some part of the Word's message that they won't like. And so they'll find someone else who tell them something different. Timothy, that's going to be true for you, says Paul. There are going to be people opposing you in Ephesus. And when you preach the truth of the gospel, they're not only going to reject it, they're going to start a new group down the road with a new teacher who won't hold the line on that particular, they won't stand firm on that particular truth that you do. And it's just as true today. If you teach, for example, in our culture today are quite... um, sexually uh, liberal culture say, what the Bible says about sex, that it should just be for marriage. And you, you take that message out into a fairly promiscuous culture. It will not be popular. And if you go further and say that actually what the Bible teaches is that marriage is between one man and one woman, that will really not be popular. They may use all sorts of language to try and shut you up. And yet it is what the Bible says. (laughs) And so Paul says to Timothy, and by implication to us here at Holy Trinity Platt, preach that word, that true and powerful word, even when it's not popular. Verse 5, you keep your head in all situations. Just remember, this is the true powerful word. You can change the message. You can give people what they want to hear, but that's going to be a different word. It's not going to have the truth and power of this one. So keep your head. Remember the truth you know from the Bible. Remember that this is God's powerful, inspired word. And keep your head in in all situations. Endure hardship. It's realistic, isn't it? If you do that, you'll get opposition. You'll be swimming against that tide. Do the work of an evangelist. What's the work of an evangelist? To proclaim and declare the truth of the gospel. It's not to convert people, that's God's work. 
It's not talking about the results. It's not saying your evangelism will be mighty effective, Timothy, and you'll have a huge, full-flowing church. No, do the work of an evangelist. Declare the truth of the gospel. Even knowing that you will get opposition for it. Preach the word because you know it's truth and power. Preach uh, the word even though it will not always be popular. But why, Paul? Why do we have to take this message out which is not going to be popular all the time? Why is it so fundamental, so important to preach the word? Third point. Because Jesus' opinion is most important. Before we actually get the command, preach the word, we get a bit of a build-up. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 1 is one of those real moments where, where Paul goes on for quite a while, and you're like, you get to the end of verse 1, and you think, well, this better be good. <laughs> in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead? And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. That's the introduction to preach the word. Verse 1. We're in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus, remember, is the one who has the final judgment of the living and the dead. He's the one who finally decides whether a life was well lived or not. He's the one who finally decides whether a ministry was successful or not. His opinion is the final one in the final court. It is the only one that matters. And therefore, a faithful minister or a faithful Christian does not care about the audience of hundreds. They care about the audience of one, most of all. I've told this story before, at least to the SBS leaders, maybe to the students as well. Apologies. This is a picture of a a bishop from the 16th century, a man called Hugh Latimer, who was eventually burned at the, the stake for... Standing firm for the gospel. Um, And he was one of the reforming bishops who changed the Church of England during the reign of uh, Henry VIII, uh, when the Church of England came out of the Roman Catholic Church. And um, he would often have to go and speak before Henry VIII. Now, if you know anything about Henry VIII, you know he had a bit of a temper. Certainly his wives knew that he had a bit of a temper. You might know the rhyme, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived, which is what happened to his wives in turn. And so Latimer, when he went to speak in front of Henry VIII, used to sort of G himself up. And he used to say, my dear Latimer, you are about to go and speak before the high and mighty King Henry, who, if he so chooses, can put you to death. Choose your words carefully. But, my dear Latimer, At the same time, you will also be speaking before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So see to it that you don't offend him. We are in the presence of Christ Jesus at all times, the risen Lord of the living and the dead, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it is his opinion that should matter most to us when we explain the gospel, when we teach the truths of the Bible. And the clearer we've got that in our hearts and minds, 
the easier it will be to be faithful when the pinch comes, when you're in that awkward situation. When someone, Do you really believe that? Remember you're in the presence of Christ Jesus at that moment. One of the problems for, for preachers is very often you worry about certain people in the congregation or in front of you and what are they going to make of the sermon. Their opinions matter a great deal uh, to you. I've got a friend who's um, a minister in Cambridge and uh, his church have some of the great New Testament scholars of the day uh, who write commentaries and things like that turn up and you know he, he has these moments where he pinches himself saying am I really about to go and uh, give a sermon in front of these people and then he has to remind himself Jesus is here every week. You know, you lead a study in your small group or in the student Bible study, say, and one of your um, slob group leaders comes and sits in this week. Just a little bit more nervous. What are they going to think? Well, Jesus was there the week before, and he'll be there next week as well. His opinion matters most, and that is why we must preach the word, because it's his word, the word he wants to say to the world. And because eternity is at stake, he will judge the living and the dead. Will we care most about what Jesus thinks? Will we do that as those who speak the truth of God? Will we do that as those who listen to the truth of God? That was a good sermon. Told a good funny story. That was a good sermon. Uh, I found that that point really, uh, you know, helpful in, in, in some, some way to some situation. That was a good sermon. I'm sure they tried to say what Jesus wanted them to. That, that was a good sermon. That was trying to explain what the Word of God says. Will we gather around ourselves as teachers who say what our ears want to hear? Or will we look for teachers and be listeners looking out for the message that only one set of ears wants to hear? Jesus' ears. Will they be the ones that matter most? Will his opinion be the one that matters most? If it is, verse 2, we will preach the word, the word of salvation. It is the best news in the world as well. It is much better than anything we would come up with. So preach the word, because you know it's truth and power. Preach the words, even though it won't always be popular. Preach the word, because it's Jesus' opinion that matters most. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have breathed out the Holy Scriptures for us. We thank you that they are truthful, that they are powerful. They may not always be popular, But as they get to work, they change us and grow us and equip us. They make us wise for salvation. Thank you that in the scriptures we have the message that we can be rescued from sin and death to life with you forever. 
And we pray that we would take that word seriously, even when it's opposed. We pray that that would be the word, that message we want to deliver. Even when it's opposed, because we know that ultimately there's only one opinion that has ultimate authority. And that is the opinion of the Lord Jesus. We are in his presence, and we do not wish to offend him. Instead, we want to deliver the message he would deliver. The message of grace and salvation to all who turn and trust in him. The message of godliness and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit that come through accepting, repenting, and believing. And so I pray you would make us faithful to him and therefore be those who would declare his words with truth, with sincerity, with honesty, and with faithfulness. And we pray it in his precious name. Amen.